Design Centre Chelsea Harbour, it's never been easier to discover what's happening in the world of design. Head to SW10 and you can browse 600 of the world's most prestigious brands in 120 showrooms, all under one roof. And it's not just for the professionals. If you need help and advice, there's a concierge desk and even a personal shopping service. I've always had this very strong view that while we design beautiful fabrics, we want to be actually creating beautiful homes. So the interior design part of how our product is used is extremely integral to the designs that we choose or the scales or the cloths within the studio. Hello, I'm Carol Annett from Country and Townhouse magazine. Welcome to the House Guest Podcast, where I chat with experts from the world of interior design and decoration, the people behind the houses, hotels, shops and brands you see in glossy magazines like ours. If you listen on the Entail app, there's more information and images on the projects and people mentioned. And if you're doing up your own home, hopefully you'll pick up some tips for yourself. Today, I'm delighted to say that I'm sitting in the GPJ Baker studio at Design Centre Chelsea Harbour with Anne Grafton, who's the Managing and Creative Director. Welcome, Anne. It's lovely to see you. It's great to be talking to you today about all of our wonderful designs and to be in our studio surrounded by our beautiful archives. And I love coming in here because it's an absolute visual treat. You've always got special things hanging on the wall and lots of things that are sort of part of the drawing. It's almost like the drawing boards are on the walls, really. It's such a fascinating place to be and it's, all, and it's always um, a, a buzz. So this is the design studio and then you have the majority of your archive is, because it's obviously enormous, um, is based in pools. So tell us a little bit about the history of GPJ Baker. So GPJ Baker uh, goes back in its earliest form to around the early 1800s when the original George Baker, the father, uh, was, was alive and left, he left school at the age of 11 Incredible. and he became a gardener to the great and good of the time and worked in many major English country houses and through his love and passion for uh, horticulture he became a very well-known um, horticulturalist, developing many uh, species of, of specimens of things like apple trees and wisteria, all sorts of plants. And in 1847, he was invited to go to Istanbul and design the gardens of the British Embassy. And he went to Istanbul. And not only did he continue to be a horticulturalist, and he introduced apple trees and wisteria, into Turkey, giving them as gifts to the Sultan. He also got married there and uh, in the chapel of the British Embassy and had nine children. And two of the children... Busy man. Very busy man. And two of his children were George Percival and James Baker, who became the GP&J of GP&J Baker. He became an extraordinarily wealthy man for the time, building a empire of oriental carpets which he shipped to America and to England to sell and also imported into Turkey textiles for the ladies in the British Embassy and other embassies. So he was a total entrepreneur and he gave both of his sons 
in the early 1800s for their 21st birthdays, £5,500 each, which was a fortune at that time. And they came to England and they bought a print works in Crayford in Kent, which became GP&J Baker. So that is the beginning of GP&J Baker. And did they design themselves or did they put together a team? They were, again, like their father, extremely interesting because they both had a passion for horticulture like their father and also for textiles, which I think was their background growing up in Turkey. And they uh, put together a team to build the GP&J Baker design company. And they were one of the first companies to actually have a head of interior design who joined the company in the late 1880s and remained as head of the design studio until the 1920s. And he really created a lot of the early designs in our archives, working with artists of the day. But George Baker had a love of textiles and art. And he actually also was very, very involved with the design side of the company. And through many of his friends and associates, such as Voise, the very famous architect of the day, and other people who were actually supporting artists of the day. And so what fascinates me is what you're so brilliant at. I know it sounds like GP&J Baker is an enormous company because of the amount of fabrics that you do, but actually you're, you're actually relatively small and you do an enormous amount yourself and that goes right from choosing the fabrics and turning them into what they are for a, for a contemporary audience. I mean, that's what's so clever. You're not just bringing them out and reprinting them, you're, you're changing them and the nuances of the colour and the designs for the contemporary audience. So how do you go about deciding what fabrics you're going to use for each collection? We normally start with a theme or a story that we want to create that sits with the relevance of, of interior designs and decoration today. And this is twice a year? and we normally bring out a collection twice a year. Uh, But we also have a very strong underlying philosophy that good design is always good design and that every collection that we launch should be able to, to work back to previous collections and collections that we will be working and launching in the future so that we build a library of very beautiful textiles that are very relevant but very easy to put together to create interiors. And I think I've always had this very strong view that while we design beautiful fabrics, we want to be actually creating beautiful homes. So the interior design part of how our product is used is extremely integral to the designs that we choose or the scales or the cloths within the studio. So it's a sort of underlying view of being able to be relevant to the trends of today, but producing things that actually will be relevant and beautiful in 20 years' time or 30 years' time, rather than uh, just something that looks great today, but next year isn't particularly relevant in someone's home. 
But it, it, are there any rules? I mean, does it tend to be that a, that a print, when it's reinterpreted, needs to be bolder or bigger? Or I mean, how, how does your kind of mind process when, you, when you're looking at something and thinking, oh, that, that could work? I always look at the scale of the fabric. So if we're designing something for a piece of furniture and it's, say, print you need to think about how that is actually going to sit on that piece of furniture, whether how the design repeat works, whether the scale is too big to be able to centre a design on a seat cushion or the back of a dining chair. Or So there are things that we always take into consideration when we design. Sometimes you may just want to produce something that's just totally fabulous and throw all the rules out of the window and go actually we want to produce something that's a statement that's fabulous that it's quite flamboyant but most of the time we will always take into consideration where and how a product will be used and how that then works for a designer so we try and help them create something that is easier when they're working with the product. And I know you've worked with Susie Hoodless, um, interior designer, and she put one of your signature velvets as a, a wall covering, which was a, a fascinating... I mean, you wouldn't necessarily think that that was the way it was going to be used. I mean, presumably when you were, when you were looking at it, you were thinking it would be a curtain or an upholstery, and then she's, she's actually used it as a wall covering, and it looks fantastic. I think looking at how fabrics and textiles are being used in design today, I think people are much more irreverent in many ways to how they would have been used in a much more structured way in the past. But then, you know, I go back to remembering the, you know, 1980s when people put chintz on every surface in in a room. (laughs) You know, I I remember this glorious room in an English country house that was covered in sort of floral roses on every surface it had you know frilled curtains and walling and four-posted bed with amazing sort of curtains and it was just you know really completely flamboyant and fabulous and and I think um, fabric as walling is beautiful because it really changes the sound the acoustics and sound in a room and absorbs things and makes makes the room feel as if it's wrapping itself around you Um, but I think Susie was really clever in using that velvet on the wall because it just looks so luxurious. Mm. And presumably the the choice of the texture, so the choice of the fabrics, whether it's a you know a linen or a tech cotton or a velvet, that's going to also change how the pattern is going to look and behave and, and can actually make it quite different if you turn it from a velvet to a, a linen. Yeah, the wonderful characteristic of printing on velvet or even weaving with silk is the absolute glorious vibrancy that you get to the colour, the way that a velvet prints and and the yarn actually takes the colour and enriches the colour in in design compared to printing on, say, linen that absorbs colour and flattens it. Both can be beautiful, but I think the gloss of printed velvet or beautiful silk that adds that sense of luxury um, is really special. You've done other collaborations as well. Tell me about the one with H&M, the fashion house. 
Well, H&M was just um, a riot, really. We loved, <laughs> we, loved, we loved doing it. It was very unexpected, which I, I think was, was a great thing for us. They approached us and said that they had been doing a lot of research and that they loved the, a uh, lot of the Baker really classic designs. And what was interesting was the designs that they chose to use for the fashion um, items. The majority of the designs were actually drawn and first printed by GP&J Baker around 1900. So, you know, they really made the designs relevant for today. Uh, they changed the scale of some of the designs and we, we our studio worked on the scale and the colours uh, for them. Um, and actually they were very gentle, um, it was a very muted, I remember one of them, Oriental Bird, which is so beautiful. Yeah. Um, you saw all these girls floating down the King's Road in their Oriental Bird dresses and, and shirts and it was just, it was glorious. Yeah, it was, it was, it was wonderful because it took the things, the design, really treasured designs from our archive to a huge audience yeah. and to see um, on the day that the collection was launched, to see the sort of Instagram of people wearing the dresses and the clothes from the Philippines to south of France to London to New York was just fantastic. And it was so exciting. And you, sort of almost everywhere you went, you saw someone in a GP&J Baker shirt or dress or uh, skirt. It was just... Um, and even now, you know, I see spot lots of them. And it's just, um, it was just a, I think it was just a fun thing. And I think also made uh, GP&J Baker relevant to uh, younger customers. And also, you know, everybody in our company who wouldn't necessarily have bespoke curtains at home um, could have a piece of GP&J Baker in some way. So it was a, a really, really fun project, and we, we all loved working with the team at H&M, who were fantastic. Well, I've still got mine hanging in the wardrobe, comes out. And I have mine, too. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, so we've got your, your rich, beautiful velvets. Um, but then tell us a little bit about um, the collection you did in Dien, because that, that's sort of been very, that was a very different look and feel. The, yeah, the, yes, it, I agree. It was it was quite different to our sort of classic Baker birds. But was that but the, still from a, an archive? Yeah, the, the um, George Baker actually one of his real loves was um, Indian, and he wrote uh, one of the most definitive books ever written about Indian textiles, which was published in 1922, which is still a very relevant book for people studying Indian textiles today. So the archive has these absolute treasures of pieces um, and some of the most important pieces of our Indian collection he gifted to the V&A uh, when he died in 1951. And in the last two years, the V&A held a fantastic exhibition on Indian textiles and the Baker archive pieces were completely the centre of that um, exhibition, which was really interesting. So yes, yeah, so Indian is part of our our heritage and I just felt today with that richness of colour and the designs telling stories was particularly relevant to interior design now. Mm -hmm. 
it must be so difficult when you're choosing for your own home, for example. I mean, do you have favourites <laughs> or do you tend to go for cream and neutrals and then just every every collection have a different cushion? <laughs> well, I, I like to think that I could live in a cream and neutral home, but I could never live in a cream and neutral <laughs> home. I sort of look at them in magazines and think, gosh, you know, that's so calming and so beautiful. And then I have this riot of pattern and colour in my house. And in actual fact, I recently painted my sitting room in my house in Cornwall in this sort of mustard, Coleman mustard yellow, with, which looks fantastic with um, uh, lots of hand block printed fabric. I, I, I really love, personally, I'm passionate about block, hand block printed fabric. I think the craftsmanship in producing that type of product is so special. And it has that lovely, naive feel about it. And so that's, you know, so I'm a colour girl, I'm afraid, not an ivory girl. That's, that's interesting that you talk about the, the hand blocking, because actually mm. as techniques are getting so much cleverer and you're able to, you know, it's incredible that w- what the machine embroidery can do. But actually, for somebody who loves print and texture what what you what you love is is the going back to the actual you know the original way that things were done yeah i i think digital printing particularly it has been fabulous in the fact that it has allowed us to produce some textiles or reproduce some textiles that we wouldn't have otherwise been able to do because we have some fabrics in our archive that maybe were originally hand block printed in the 1800s and they have sort of 40 colours and with machine printing today and screen printing the maximum amount of colours you could print were 22 to 24 colours so it has allowed us to do things that uh, we wouldn't have done and also designs that we have that aren't standard conventional printing heights for machine printing again you can digitally print so it has had a lot of uh, a lot of good things about it but I think the craftsmanship of the original way of printing if you're a textile person is, is really special. So is it just about making sure that in the collections you've got a mix you're going to be producing something that you know there's going to be something in there for every for everybody? I, th- I think that's the, the aim is to have because presumably it's a, that mean it's a different price point as well if it's going to be hand done or yeah. digitally done. Yeah, but the I think the aim is to be able to produce different scales, different textures, different techniques, so that people can mix things together. And I think that's the I think the the way people are decorating today, mixing sort of high and low and mixing textures and and mixing old and new is what makes interiors so interesting and so we look to be part of that mix Mm. Um, and and how does the process work so from you looking at the archive prints to to it actually getting out to the showroom how long is that process it should be about a year it normally is about a year there's Mm. something very special that we really love or we look at a collection and think gosh we know we're missing a mid-scale design or we feel this collection needs a signature print then we can produce something in a much shorter amount of time but to really develop a collection a full collection and color it well 
and print it and deliver it to the market in a in a way where it's been photographed and and looks amazing is a year and there are some very important textile designers that have worked with um, GP and J. I'm thinking of William Turner in particular. Tell us a little bit about him. Well, we have um, several designers who have contributed to the archive over the years, and they may not have produced a large number of designs, but the designs that they did produce have become signature. And so William Turner, um, who's very well known textile designer of the day, designed for Baker about 10 to 12 designs, but all of them are very, very signature Baker designs and have become, you know, some of our really enduring classics. So he didn't necessarily work for Baker. He was, he, they, he was sort of like freelanced as, as one would the, the now. Yes, he, he, but he was great friends with George Baker and he worked um, for George Baker, designing designs, often even then, from inspiration from even older archives, which is really interesting. And so what do you, what, what's your favourite bit of the whole process? Because how long have you been, may I ask, how long have you been at TPJ Baker? 15 years. Yeah, a long time. I said I'd be here for one. I don't quite know what happened there. <laughs> I don't I think said, they'll let you go I even said, if you try. I said I would only stay for one. Um, <laughs> my favourite, favourite part of the whole process is actually being in a print works and watching something print on a print machine. Going and making the last changes to the colours to rebalance a design or making sure the fit of the screens is right or and then printing something and just seeing this design that you've perhaps only sometimes seen in small squares as you've been colour trialling and things come off a print machine in huge lengths and it's sort of the end of a process. It's the sort of beginning of showing it to the market and people using it in their home and selling it, but for us it's sort of the creative process is actually producing. I still love producing something beautiful and I think that's really a great part of, of what we all do is, is just seeing that first great big length of fabric sort of appearing and thinking, gosh, that's really beautiful. Yeah. And what about working with other interior designers? I know you've worked with Susie Hoodless and Ben Pentreath. Do you often collaborate with interior designers? We, we started the collaboration with Ben um, to showcase um, a favourite fabric of his from, from Baker, um, in our in our showroom, um, and he chose magnolia, which is really glorious sort of riotous, colourful fabric, which actually was one of the fabrics that H um, and M chose as well, um, and it was a great collaboration. It was really fun. We all enjoyed doing it. It was really good to have someone else's objective point of view about one of our fabrics, and so we worked with Susie, and we'd like to work with other designers as well. Um, I always think it's I always think it's great to see how you imagine your product being used or your fabric being used and then and then a designer taking it and sometimes using it in quite an unexpected way um, and that's always great fun. Mm. Well, and thank you so much. It's been absolutely fascinating. Thank you. It's been fun speaking to you. Thank you. 
Thanks for listening to House Guests from Country and Townhouse magazine with me, Carol Annett. Don't forget to subscribe to the series on iTunes or Entail, where you can also find images, links and notes to enhance each episode. In the meantime, you can follow me on Instagram at carolwannett and keep up to date on all the podcast news and show notes online at countryandtownhouse.co.uk slash podcast. And please don't forget to rate, review and subscribe.